We often hear that we're living in a post-truth world. Have we lost truth? Well, we can't really lose truth, but many deny it or try to escape it. As Christians, we're not living in a post-truth world, but rather we're living in a battle for God's truth. I'm your host, Darren Miller, pastor of equipping at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome to the Magnify Podcast. Thanks for joining us for episode one of Foundations of Faithfulness. And of course, it is fitting that our very first guest would be our senior pastor, my friend, David Haig. Hey, well, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> You're my friend, too. And in many ways, you've <laughs> you've been a son and a mentor to uh, me. And I, man, I'm, I'm so thankful to partner with you. Appreciate it. Well, we've been in this series. And really what it is is the, examining the components of a biblical worldview. And so we kicked it off with the topic of truth. Now, I've heard hmm. you say, uh, other pastor theologians say that we are living in a post-truth world. And that just makes me think in all sorts of different directions about what that might mean. Is it even possible? But the question looms, have we lost it? The whole idea of a post-truth world is a phrase that comes out of, I think it was 2018 when whoever does those things decides what the phrase of the year is or the word of the year and it was post-truth and hmm. I uh, no way we've lost truth I mean you can't lose truth all you can do is deny it all you can do is try and escape it all you can do is you know pontificate on how nobody can really know the truth anymore but as soon as you say that then you've made a, an absolute statement so sure. the idea that there is no truth is a self-refuting statement. What we do find, though, is that feelings and, and how I want to think and the truth that I want to live out has actually eclipsed the idea of propositional truth. And so what we have is not so much post-truth as the battle for the truth. Some are trying to kill it. Some are trying to take it out of the way so they don't have to live with it. Others of us are trying to say no. Truth is uh, what ought to guide and guard our lives. So, I mean, how would you say, let's say you and I, we both have neighbors. They're not believers. Um, they are in a sandbox of their humanity that God put them in. They're in that framework. Yeah. Well put. And, and then there are things that we have determined, and to quote uh, a book we're currently going through together as a team, what we can't not know. There are things that we can't not know. Um, and that's true of our unbelieving neighbors. And so what guides unbelievers in knowing what is true, despite the fact that they don't look to the Bible to dictate what is true. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that we tend to try and find our quote unquote truth uh, in a form that we can live with. Uh, John MacArthur used to say about the Old Testament people that they didn't so much worship Baal, they worshiped what they could do when they worshiped Baal. Right. So if you make a God out of some political or philosophical or even moral viewpoint that allows you to live the way you want to live, then in essence, you have substituted your own truth. You've made your own truth the, uh, the God rather than the truth of God being the truth. I, I think we see it today in things like uh, all, the whole COVID thing. 
Mm -hmm. If you read an article and it supports what you think is right, then you like it. If you read an article that goes against it, you say, that guy's crazy. That's not true. So I don't think we've lost truth. We've just created an alternative to it, and that is my truth. Right. And my truth becomes my guiding principle. Right. And so if you're going to say that there is such a thing as truth, you're assuming that there is a truth giver. And the big difference between us and our unbelieving neighbors and friends is who's giving the truth. Yeah, I think that's akin to the philosophical question that we can always start with is why is there something rather than nothing? Mm -hmm. And so in the biblical worldview, we, we realize that you, you have to have a cause for every effect and then you have to say what caused that cause and what caused that cause and you go back and back and back until you finally you finally run into what we call the uncaused cause that that which there never was a time when it was not and so then you start asking yourself what are the candidates for that right <laughs> well it's not mankind and that's hard to do because for unbelievers who uh the only compass they have is themselves when they start thinking philosophically about well, what you just kind of, you know, unpacked there, the uncaused cause or the unmoved mover, you're thinking, they're thinking outside of themselves. And I think that's hard for believer, unbelievers to do. Yeah, and I think it's also true because we become what, what's known today as presentists, mm. that it's only the present, Aaron, that really matters. It's how am I going to live today and how am I going to have fun tonight and what am I going to do this weekend? And, you know, in, in a sense, we find this even in some of the, exercise of Christianity, we find churches and theologians that say, God really wasn't doing anything great until I, I was born. And so this, the presentism idea says, well, I don't really care where everything started. Right. And you know, if I don't want there to be a God to whom I'm accountable, then I don't even really want to talk about why is there something rather than nothing. You guys can figure that out. All I know is that I want to live my life. Right. And that's where we're losing truth. Truth is, ought to be that which allows us to find freedom. The lack of truth actually puts us in a bondage that we don't even understand. And so the truth givers of our world, of our, of our culture, um, we've summed them up in, in description already in, in some form. They're gonna be things like reason and tradition and our own experience. And what you're suggesting, what you preached on this past week is not that those aren't modes of authority for truth, but that ultimately the Bible is the Supreme Court of what we can know to be true. Absolutely, you know, I, I grew up in a world where my dad was a great guy and the churches of his day, his church, the one I grew up in and others, they used to put on the, on the sign out in front, uh, our only creed is the Bible. Hmm. And it was during a time when all kinds of things were trying to vie for supremacy over the Bible, but that, that phrase goes too far, as though the only place that we can find truth is the Bible. Now, let me explain that before I get a lot of, you know, pushback. Uh, we learn from history. Uh, we learn through reason. In fact, uh, in order to understand the Bible, we have to know history. We have to know what the original author was living, the, the realm he was living in, what he meant by the original languages he used the historical references he used. So we, we've got to know both the history of the text. We've got to know reason. We've got to use reason. Mm -hmm. We've got to know the way, you know, nouns are used and adjectives and all those things in both Hebrew and Greek. So there's, there's certainly a place for reason. What we do say, though, is that the Bible is the only infallible right. source of truth. Right. I mean, reason 
I mean, can be unreasonable, <laughs> right? Emotion. And that's what we're seeing today, that feelings have replaced facts. And it's evident that someone will say, well, I just feel this is the way it is. They even do that about God. I say, I just feel God must, I mean, I couldn't believe in a God who sent anybody to hell. Mm -hmm. So despite the, the, the reality of biblical truth, we have people all kinds of places that are saying, no, my feelings are my truth. Right. I mean, God has communicated truths in his creation that uh, are implicitly there in the Bible, right? It assumes reason and experience and tradition. Um, but ultimately, the way that the Bible talks about itself is quite unique when it comes to what we would say is revealed truth, right? And so my unbelieving neighbor is able to look at a pretty sunset, is able to stare up into the starry sky at night, is able to identify things within history and within creation and ask good philosophical questions. And even maybe like Aristotle and Socrates and the great philosophers did, come to a conclusion that this had to come from a great mind. This had to come from a great designer. The problem with that level of truth is it's just enough to condemn you, according to what Paul's saying in the book of Romans. It's not enough to save you. And so as we think about the lens of Scripture and how that forms a biblical worldview, um, I, I just want to help our people think through how do they apply Scripture as a lens that doesn't box out what we can see revealed in nature, but it highlights the revealed will of God in Scripture. And I think about, my mind goes to John's Gospel in uh, chapter 1, verse 14. John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so starting with Christ, starting with what God has revealed through his word and through the Son of God, can we interact with that a little bit and how that then puts a lens on how we view ourselves and the world in which God has placed us? Yeah, I think your explanation of Aristotle and some of the great philosophers who, who can't escape some of the philosophical proofs that there is something as the uncaused cause or the unmoved mover that must exist or we have an infinite regress. Mm. And they've come to realize whether it's this great mind or whether it's, you know, in some places, paganism or whatever, there's always been something outside of us as humanity that is responsible for the world that humanity inhabits. Today, we're in a place where we push God aside, but that doesn't mean that something like that isn't needed and necessary. And I, I think what's important to understand in the history of the church is that we have always combined word and spirit Mm -hmm. uh, without the Spirit, you cannot really understand and experience the life-giving nature of the grace of God in Jesus Christ as explained to us in the Bible. You just can't. Uh, without the Spirit of God opening our eyes and understanding what the truth of Jesus Christ is and making it uh, experientially practical in our lives. And the way that happens is that over time we begin to see if God's electing love is inhabiting our world and he's, he's bringing us into contact with those who are his messengers to tell us the truth, we begin to see two things. Number one, we begin to see our sin. Hmm. You know, today, sin's almost non-existent in most people's minds. Um, anything that happens that's terrible is because someone's mentally ill or because somebody has been oppressed or because they weren't nurtured, or they didn't have the same experiences and opportunities and privileges. The bottom line is, when the Spirit of God really opens our eyes, the first thing we see is that we're broken. We're broken. The pride of man is destroyed when the Spirit of God applies the Word of God 
and the gospel of God to the heart. And then the second thing we see simultaneously is that I can't get rid of that sin. I've created a, a debt that I can neither pay nor escape. And then the Spirit of God opens my eyes to this beautiful offering in the Bible, and that is that God's going to take care of my sin through what Jesus Christ has done. And all I need to do is nothing. Hmm. I just need to believe. I need to entrust my life to Jesus. But what we see going on today is that there's a lot of knowledge without the spiritual understanding of how to apply that to life. And that's really why you and I are in business. Right. Because we exist to bring the Word of God to bear on the people's lives so that the Spirit can do the work, the Spirit through the Word. So if the gospel and the promise that we have through Christ is the, the framework of our lens, of our, of our worldview lens, what is meant when we talk more practically about the Bible speaking into all areas of life, right? I mean, yeah. Because, I mean, you're, I'm not going to look up a verse on, hey, where, do, where am I going to go to college? I'm not going to look up scripture on exactly who I should marry, et cetera. Yeah, what do we mean when we say that? Yeah, we're not the first ones to ask that question, obviously. Right. We, we believe that the Bible is the very breathed out word of God and that God the Spirit superintended the human authors so that what God breathed out, what he was the creator of, they wrote down, and it was a one-for-one one with what God said. So we have the very word of God, and we say it's sufficient. Now, you're right. You can't turn to a chapter and verse and learn how to program a computer or do brain surgery or who you should marry or anything. And so the Westminster Confession, I think, put it very well when it said that uh, all things pertaining to faith in Christ and all of life and faith and all that is necessary for pleasing him is either found expressly in scripture, for instance, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. There's all kinds of absolute commandments, truths, and principles. But the Westminster Confession went on to say all things uh, are explicitly found in Scripture or by necessary means may be deduced from Scripture. Right. So, for instance, you say, yeah, you can't find a chapter and verse that told you to marry Ingrid. Right. But you can find a verse that says that you, as a Christian man, should only marry someone who ha is a Christian woman. Right. And then you, it gives the guidelines of what a Christian man and a Christian woman look like, and it talks about how Christian marriage should go. So there are certain facts and principles that are there. And I would say that that pertains to everything in life because it speaks to who we are to be, right. why we're to be that, and who's in charge of our lives, and that's God. And that's the rhythm of the wisdom literature. Exactly. Right? Uh, what Solomon is, is giving his son instruction on. He's, he's speaking about truth not as a, a door, but as a path, Yes, a rhythm. And the, as he's, I, I think, un, unpacking there in chapter four, if I remember correctly, he's talking about, he's asking the question, where are your feet pointed? <laughs> because where your feet are pointed is the direction your heart is going. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think most people listening probably know Psalm 23 uh, for no other reason than when they went to a funeral, it was printed on the back of the funeral, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, on the, on the little pamphlet they give away. But in that, it says, look, I, I'm a sheep. Hmm. I need a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he leads me. And I think the, if you simplify the story of the Bible, it's that I can't make it on my own. I am broken. I, I don't even live up to my own best standards, leave alone God's. 
But if God is my shepherd and my feet, as you say, are pointed in a direction down the path of wisdom to follow him, then I, I'm going to understand how that is my very best option. And it makes life mm. now the best it can be. And certainly in the future, it, it is eternal life. Well, I think it's fitting that we started episode one talking about truth because it really does set the pace for all the other components of uh, the foundations that we'll be unpacking in subsequent weeks. Um, anything more to add, brother? Well, I just think that when we get away from what God says man is, we lose dignity. Mm. When we get outside the, the fences that the Bible sets up for us with regard to morality and family and justice and right and wrong and good and evil, we, we lose freedom. I know uh, when we moved once, we moved back to the Midwest, and uh, we had a house, and our backyard just flowed right into the backyards of the houses behind us and beside us. And, you know, I, it was hard to have our kids there because my son at that point was young and rambunctious. And we used to, when we lived on the West Coast, we had a fenced backyard and it gave him freedom. He got to go into the backyard. He could run all over the place, do whatever he wanted to, but he was still within the fences. The fact is when you do away with the truth, the truth builds a fence in which we have freedom. You take away the fence, and when anything goes, and when there is no restraint with regard to the designs of our minds, we get into all kinds of trouble. Look where we are today. Mm. Human dignity? Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know, if, if a fetus isn't a person until it escapes the womb, then you can do anything you want with it. If someone on a feeding tube, you know, is, is no, not useful anymore, and if we feel it'd be better off for them to you know, to die, then you have euthanasia. You have, you have all kinds of what I would say excesses that are, that are detrimental to human thriving because we've broken down the fences and those fences are made of natural law and God's truth. Well, we certainly have a lot of content that we'll be diving into. I think this next week we'll be looking into identity and, um, Every week, I think we can get into areas where the scriptures certainly speak and apply themselves. You mentioned freedom. You mentioned human dignity, uh, sexuality, science and faith, religious pluralism, all these components that uh, people really do mingle in with their lives. They just may not know the philosophical terms. And so we just want to be able to help our people think rightly with the scriptures about the world in which he has placed them. I think it's safe to leave it there. Yeah, just let me uh, end with a a quote that you gave me from Blaise Pascal, Hmm. and he was a profound follower of Christ and perhaps one of the smarter philosophers we've ever seen. And Hmm. in his great work, The Penseas, he wrote this, if we do not love the truth, we will not seek it. If we do not seek it, we will not find it. If we do not find it, we will not know it. If we do not know it, we have failed our fundamental task in time and quite likely also in eternity. Hmm. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, every week, every episode we, we provide this, we want to be able to outline some resources for our people uh, that maybe want to do a deeper dive on some of the stuff that we are unpacking. Uh, do you have any suggestions for our listeners? Yeah, one of the things I think everybody needs to realize, I think we probably already know this intuitively, but we are really being deluged by data every day. 
on the internet, on our computers, you know, through the news media, social media. In fact, I was doing some research and I found a lot of amazing statistics, but basically the equivalent of a university library in terms of content is being created every day on the internet. And all of that is made up of opinion, uh, somebody's just decision to go online and say something. You know, as a university professor, I also have told my students, I, I don't accept internet sources. Because quite frankly, you know, Aaron, you could be writing up, you know, Captain Billy's whiz-bang Old Testament research site. Right. You could put anything you want on there. And that's not just about the Old Testament. There are people out there that are putting all kinds of things out into the, the blogosphere and the internet. And the crazy thing is, is that all of that material comes unfiltered to your kids, mm -hmm. to me, to our unbelieving neighbors and to our church people, to everybody, if they own a phone. Right. I mean, we, when we think about the amount of error that possibly is getting into our minds, our hearts, our friends and kids' minds, uh, we had better have a grid. We had better have a sieve or a filter to push everything through. And I just want to remind folks that that grid is God's word. Know it, study it, reflect on it, and use it as a tool to kind of siphon out that which is destructive to us. And there are a couple of resources that will help us do that. First, uh, one of the most influential books in my life, at least in the last 15 years, other than the Bible, is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Dr. Carl Truman. Mm -hmm. He is a, a British professor, uh, church historian and theologian who teaches at Grove City College now. And he has written the book that explains why we are the way we are in our world, how feeling has trumped fact, how we've moved from being a world that believes that it, there is a, a deity, a God outside of us to whom we are responsible, to now we are only responsible to ourselves for our own truth. It, it's brilliant, it's deep, but it's worth buying. Now, if you want a, a more accessible manual on how to use all the inputs that are out there in a good way, I would really recommend Brett McCracken's book, The Wisdom Pyramid. Mm. It's much more accessible. Every parent should read this book. Mm. I'm thankful that God has raised up these two godly men to write these books. Thanks, brother. I would, I would throw one book out there. It's more of a philosophical work. Um, we've already referenced it this episode, but it's What You Can't Not Know by, I'm going to botch his name, I just know I am, but Jay Bushiseski, uh, a Christian uh, philosopher, and uh, he's been very helpful for me in thinking through um, kind of natural law and how we can know truth, and definitely the premise being that there are things that we just can't not know. As much as we can suppress the truth, as Paul tells us in Romans, there are things that we just can't not know that give rise to the fact that we came from somewhere and we are going somewhere, and there are consequences uh, all in the mix of that. But Dave, thanks so much for being with us on this first podcast. Uh, brothers and sisters, just so you know, we're going to be doing this on a regular basis. Uh, podcasting is a new venture for Grace Baptist Church, uh, but we certainly want to resource you, encourage you, and edify you in your walk with Christ. Thanks so much, Dave. Amen. Amen.